You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. And have a seat, everybody. Amen. Good stuff. Can you guys hear me? Hello, you can hear me? Okay, good. Awesome. Well, that was great. Great job, guys. That was fun. Uh, singing about God changing us. Uh, we're starting a new series today called Relationship, if you're uh, visiting with us. And uh, so it's a great time for you to join us. Uh, we're just starting a new series. We hope you come back and uh, join us for the whole series. <clears throat> you know, there was a few years ago, actually quite a few years ago, because I didn't have a cell phone at the time. And my friend didn't have a cell phone. Uh, either. And uh, I went to pick him up at LAX. He came into town. This was my best friend, Marshall Mead. Uh, and uh, I went to pick him up from LAX, as friends do for friends sometimes. And this is before when they used to let you park on the curb and wait. Anybody remember that? This is before 9-11, all that. Yeah, so if you get a spot on the curb, it's like, oh, I got a spot. And you wait. So I was at the correct terminal, uh, but, you know, I got a spot and w- waited. And he uh, had kind of a lot of luggage, and so he found a spot on the curb, and he waited. And so he was waiting with his luggage, and I was waiting with my car for a long time. We had no phones. We couldn't call each other. Finally, you know, people are clearing out, and then finally, you know, he sees me or I see him. It's like, oh, you're down there. Oh, you're down there. So, you know, he, we find each other. I pick him up. And, uh, but the whole drive home, we hardly said nothing. We just said nothing to each other. Because I'm mad at him, you know, because why couldn't you just walk around a little bit? I found a spot, you know, there was no spot. And he's, you know, he's mad at me because I should have driven around and looked for him. And, and uh, you know, but, but the point is that we both needed to shift in our relationship. He needed to shift and I needed to shift and we weren't connecting with each other. And uh, the idea of this series is that our relationships need a shift. Uh, we need sh- a shift in our relationship with God. We need a shift in our relationship with each other. And we're going to be using the book of 1 John to really learn about how relationships should be in the kingdom of God. And uh, uh, the book, book of John was written by the, the apostle John, who is one of Jesus' very best friends, one of his closest three friends. And John himself had a, had a big shift in his relationships. You know, he was known, we, we all know of him as what? The apostle of? The Apostle of Love. Yeah, he, he's known as the Apostle of Love because you read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and he's just talking about love, love, love. We've got to love each other. We've got to love each other. When he writes the book of John about himself, he calls himself the Apostle that Jesus loved. You know, anytime he's talking about himself, it's the Apostle that Jesus loved. Uh, I don't think he said that to say, hey, you know, I'm the one he really loved. I think he meant, to, he meant it to say that, like, I felt Jesus' love. Like, I felt this connection to him. I, I felt like I was special. So he's known as the Apostle of Love, but before he was the Apostle of Love, I heard somebody say it, I think I heard Sandy say it, the Son of Thunder. Yeah, he, was, he and his brother were known as the Sons of Thunder. Why? Because they were these tough, radical guys. Like at one point, they were asking Jesus, this, this one city didn't, didn't respond to Jesus' teaching, and they're like so excited that they didn't respond. And the reason they're so excited is because, oh good, we get to call down thunder from heaven. And see the whole city blow up, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. This is going to be awesome. Jesus, can we do it? You know, can we call in the world? And uh, Jesus is like, oh man, you got a long ways to go. 
So, so John himself had a real shift, and uh, so that's who we're going to be learning from in this series. So today we're going to look at 1 John, uh, next week we're going to look at 2 John, uh, or 1 John 1, next week will be 1 John 2, and so on. Uh, so we're going to go through the, the book. The title of the lesson today is The Innovation of Loneliness. And I'll get to a little more of where that title comes from here in a second. The Innovation of Loneliness. Is there anyone here who's never felt lonely? I don't see anybody. Uh, you know, we've all felt that. And uh, loneliness is something that uh, people believe is on the increase. They've done studies that show that uh, more people are lonely today than ever. Which is kind of counterintuitive when you think of all the ways we can connect nowadays. But there was a study by Elizabeth Bernstein in the Wall Street Journal uh, called Alone or Lonely. And she reports that loneliness in the U.S. has doubled over the past 30 years. Right now, about 40% of Americans report being lonely. In the 80s, it was only 20%. So there's been a real change, you know, in in, in this. And so people are trying to figure this out. And why is this? And there's different studies that are trying to figure it out. And we're going to watch a video right now that um, is about an idea. One one idea of why people are more lonely today. It's called the innovation of loneliness. And it's, uh, it's a little bit long. It's about five minutes long. He moves really fast through a lot of material. Um, so you got to kind of, I just tell you that so you can kind of pay attention. You don't miss what he's saying because he talks a little bit fast. But I think we can all relate to some of the things he's saying. So just listen to this. See if you can find yourself at all in this video. Uh, teens, this has some good stuff for you, so pay attention. I know you're, the teen leaders are out of town this weekend at a retreat. But the teens are, are you guys are fine without the teen leaders here, right? You're, you miss them, I know. But you're, you're awesome. So watch this video and then we'll talk some more. A simple thought. Monkeys that are known to have a developed social life, organize in small groups of several dozen members. The size of each of these groups is limited. In order for them to function, all members of the group need to know each other well. The average size of the group changes from 20 to 50 members. When the number of monkeys in a group passes a certain threshold, the social order crumbles, and the group tends to split into two separate groups. A similar situation can be found amongst humans as well. The invention of language and gossip has helped us shape larger and more stable groups. Sociological research indicates that the maximum natural size of a group of humans is roughly 150 members. Most humans are just incapable of intimately knowing more than 150 people, so even today the threshold of human organization is around the number of 150 members. Man is a social creature, and the feeling of loneliness can drive them mad, yet the Western and modern world sanctions individuality. The individual is measured by personal achievements, such as having a career, wealth, a self-image, and consumerism. In this course of action, many people lose their social and familial connections in favor of a self-actualization ideal. As the social fabric in the Western world weakens, it is not surprising that more and more people define themselves as lonely, and thus, loneliness has become the most common ailment of the modern world. One of the possible reasons for this ailment is the online social network. In a world where time is money, in which our surroundings heavily pressure us to achieve more and more, our social life becomes tainted and more demanding than ever before. And then there's technology. Simpler, hopeful, optimistic, ever young. We become addicted to virtual romance, disguised by the social network which supplies an impressive platform that allows us to manage our social life most effectively. However, our fantasies about substitutions are starting to take a toll. We're collecting friends like stamps, 
not distincting quantity versus quality, and converting the deep meaning and intimacy of friendship with exchanging photos and chat conversations. By doing so, we're sacrificing conversation for mere connection, and so a paradoxical situation is created, in which we claim to have many friends while actually being lonely. So what is the problem in having a conversation? Well, it takes place in real time, and you can't control what you're going to say. And that is the bottom line. Texting, email, posting, all of these things let us present the self as we want it to be. We get to edit, and that means we get to delete. Instead of building true friendships, we're obsessed with endless personal promotion, investing hours on end building our profile, pursuing the optimal order of words in our next message, choosing the pictures in which we look our best, all of which is meant to serve as a desirable image of who we are. We're expecting more from technology and less from each other. The social networks aren't just changing what we're doing, but also who we are. And that's because technology appeals to us most where we are most vulnerable. And we are vulnerable. We are lonely, but we're afraid of intimacy, while the social networks offer us three gratifying fantasies. One, that we can put our attention wherever we want it to be. Two, that we will always be heard. And three, that we will never have to be alone. And that third idea, that we will never have to be alone, is central to changing our psyches. It's shaping a new way of being. The best way to describe it is, I share, therefore, I am. We use technology to define ourselves by sharing our thoughts and feelings, even as we're having them. Furthermore, we're faking experiences so we'll have something to share, so we can feel alive. We slip into thinking that always being connected is going to make us feel less alone. But we are at risk, because the opposite is true. If we are not able to be alone, we're only going to know how to be lonely. All right, so pretty deep video. Uh, I don't know, you know, if you saw something you related to in there. Uh, I know I definitely did. Um, this is new, you know, this is something new in our time. Uh, I believe social networks, the, the internet, this, these ways of connecting, this is a really cool thing for God, really cool thing for his kingdom. I think it's a great tool that God has allowed, but it comes with unique challenges. And, uh, and so, we, you know, it's important that we know how, how do we handle these kinds of challenges. Uh, I like what he says that he argues that true conversation is lost because he says that we get to edit. And when we get to edit the version of ourselves that we present, we get to delete things that we don't like. And so what we're presenting to others is not reality. And, and, you know, that's certainly true on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but it's also true just in life. You know, we, we, we present a certain version of ourselves. A lot of times that's not really ourselves. And, and in, that, in that case, then we don't, we don't, there's not authenticity. People don't really know us. We end up not being truly known. And that's what we really all want. Deep down, we all really want to be truly known and loved for who we are. Uh, and when you, when you build up a, a wall around yourself or a fake facade around yourself and nobody knows the real you, that's where you end up being really lonely because you feel like, I remember, you know, as, as a high school student feeling so strong in this feeling like no one knows the real me. And if they did, they would not like the real me. And that's a really lonely place to be. Uh, but I believe that God's word has the escape for that for that condition. Uh, you know, for myself, I mean, I, I, I have I can relate. I have a love hate relationship with Facebook. Um, you know, I get on there for a little bit, but I got to get off quickly. I can get sucked into it, you know. And uh, it's, I see it's a tool. It's a great tool for the church. We can stay connected with each other. We can keep engaged with what's going on. But what happened to me is I have too many Facebook friends. And, um, 
you know, I do music and, and people know my songs in other parts of the world through our network of churches that they sing my songs. And so early on, uh, with, when I joined Facebook, I started accepting friends that weren't really my friends. They were just people who, you know, like my music. And, uh, you know, I kind of saw myself as an ambassador of the church and, okay, I got to accept, you know, everybody. But then I, you know, a couple years ago, I maxed out at like 5,000 friends. And so now it's like if I get on Facebook, I just have this flood of like everything everybody's doing. And I'm like, ah, oh. so people I really like and care about, I don't see what they're doing because I have too many people I don't know and what they're doing. Uh, and then there's the kind of weird thing when you post something, like there's this one woman who posts something, the instant I post anything, she posts something on there. I have no idea who she is, you know, it's just kind of weird. Um, yeah, she's, she's a Facebook friend. Um, but it's just kind of weird, you know, and uh, so, so, you know, when I joined Instagram, I said on Instagram, I'm only going to be friends with people who I actually know. So that's like, if, if, you, if you're on Instagram, then I know what you're, what's going on in your life. If you're on Facebook, I might not, because <laughs> I got to get on there for short amounts of time. Uh, but, you know, all these modern innovations in communication, it seems like it should make us closer to one another. And yet, do we have closer relationships right now? Do we, do we have better relationships than we ever have before? Or, you know, how, what's the quality of your relationships right now? Um, do you feel like you are truly known? Do you feel like you are truly loved? Uh, do you feel like you have what you need as far as intimacy? Or are you feeling like, wow, this is an area that's really lacking for me? And if you feel like it's lacking, this is a great uh, series for you to, to be, be joining us and to, to be learning from the book of John, because I think it's really going to help. If you feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm great. I got as many friends as I need. I, I'm set with intimacy. Amen. That's awesome. Now you can focus on helping some of us that don't, you know, uh, and, and figuring out how can I be more available to others? How can I help others who are, are, are needing more help in this area? Um, you know, I, I like on the video as well how he said, uh, we have this kind of concept of I share, therefore I am. Like, like that's our connection is just sharing things and, uh, and wanting, infor- wanting affirmation. And, and the, the thing about social media is you have access to instant feedback. You know, how many likes did I get? Okay, it's been 20 minutes. How many likes have I gotten now? You know, there's this instant feedback, especially with the teens. It's like fast moving on Snapchat, just really fast uh, you know, gratification or not gratification and, and feedback. And we can kind of get caught up in that. Um, I saw this, another video, uh, I was uh, getting my car fixed at the, at the shop and, and I, I saw this video of, uh, of John Mayer talking a little bit about this. I want to show you a, a one minute clip of this video that he talks about uh, his struggles with some of this stuff. And he says that he's a recovering egomaniac. Yeah. And then you lose, number one, you're not playing music anymore. Number two, you're not feeling anything honestly. And number three, you're not saying anything honestly. You once said you abused the ability to express yourself. Oh, yeah. What's different now? Oh, uh, I know what I want. I don't care if this video gets 500,000 views or 50,000 views or 5,000 views. I'm not out to affect that anymore. That's for me to care about. That's for you to care about, man. Are you susceptible yourself to wanting the Twitter feedback? Yeah. Wanting the approval? Yeah, that's why I pull myself off of it again. I'm a recovered ego addict, and the only way that I can, that I can be sure that I don't relapse is to admit that I constantly have this ego addiction every day. So I do the Grammys and I go home, because if I stayed, I'd get high again. And then, and then I'd get high, and then I'd get low. High on the approval. Yeah, well, yeah. You've already looked through Twitter, everybody goes, it's great. And then you're low again because you can't stop looking. 
or you get, you get low because you read the one negative thing. So I'm a recovered ego addict. You know, I, I, I appreciate his honesty there, you know? I don't know if he's fully recovered, but uh, I'll say he's recovering. Uh, but uh, but I, think, I think we can all relate to that. You know, we all want to be affirmed. We all, we all want, and, and we can kind of get caught up in that need for affirmation and that desire to, to be loved and that desire to be accepted. Um, I like in this, a little bit later in this same video, uh, he says really what he wants, he says, Here, here's what I want. He's in, living in Montana now, trying to kind of find himself. And he says, really what I want, I want to have one wife. I want to have some kids. <laughs> I think he says that because in Hollywood, you know, uh, like he wants to have one, one wife for life, he wants to have some kids, wants to have a set number of friends, I want to have some people that like my music, and, and I don't have to have all this other stuff. That's, that's all I need, just that stuff right there. And it was cool to listen to that because I'm like, that's exactly what I have. I have a wife, I have one wife, I have some kids. Uh, I, have, I have friends. Woo! You know? Um... I have people that listen to my music. You know, I have, I have everything John Mayer wants. Awesome. But, uh, <laughs> but we're going to be looking at uh, 1 John. So turn, if you haven't turned there already, turn to 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to pray and then we're going to look into the, the scriptures here. First point is Jesus is God come near. And uh, let's pray. God, thank you to be able to look into your word right now. I pray that uh, you would open our hearts to what your spirit has to say uh, through your written word and uh, help all of us to grow closer in our relationship with you and closer in our relationships with one another, to have a shift in our relationships, even from our time spent in the word today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, first point, Jesus is God come near. First uh, John chapter one, just beginning right there in, in, in the beginning of the chapter, he says that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we've proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the father and has appeared to us. So he's talking about Jesus, obviously, but he's saying Jesus is the word of God that was with God at the very beginning. And we see this in the book of John as well, a kind of parallel passage that Jesus is God come near. Jesus is God in a human form. And, and the word he uses, the word of life, uh, that word is in the Greek is logos, which means the, the rational thinking, the mind of God, the, the, the character of God. It's more than just word, um, but it's, there's some deep stuff to that thought, you know, that even uh, scientists today will tell us that language is key to our thinking, that you can't have, if you don't have language, you don't have thinking. My, my 11-year-old daughter and I were just discussing this this last week. She was like, so if you don't have language, how do you really think? Like, what, like kind of what, what, what's, what are your thoughts? How do you form thoughts if you don't have language? And we were talking about feral kids and different things. You know, we, we got in this really cool discussion. But she's 11 and she's figuring this out. You need language to be able to think. And so that's why this word the word, it's, it's, it's the thought of God, the language of God becomes a man. So it's sort of like if you were able to enter a computer program or a computer game, put yourself in there, but it's still you. Like everything that makes you you, but you're in the computer game. That's kind of what God did. He came into his creation. 
He's outside of space and time. He's outside of creation. Creation was made by him and it's separate for him, from him, but then he entered creation in the form of Jesus. And that's a really deep thought and, and you, know, you could spend hours and hours trying to figure that out with your brain and never really get it. But the point is that God wanted a connection with us. God himself is a God of connection. And you see that in, in the Garden of Eden, that God is there with the man and the woman, and there's intimacy and there's connection, but sin comes in and it breaks those connections. And so ever since then, the whole story of the Bible is God trying to bring man back into a relationship with him, into an intimate connection with him, sending prophets, sending his word, and ultimately coming himself in human form when we were ready for, for that, when we were ready for him, when the time was right, right, right at the time of the Roman Empire and, and, and things were kind of what they needed to be for, for Jesus to come to earth. He comes as this poor, poor Jewish guy uh, from an obscure little town, but it's God as human form. It's really, really amazing. And I love how he says, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked at, and our hands have touched. Like this is real human connection. John was writing this book, they think most likely in the 90s. And there was, not, not the recent 90s, but the really, the <laughs> first 90s. I know, I, I, I love the 90s, but these are different 90s. These are the original 90s. Um, and, uh, and at this time, there was a, a false teaching creeping up called Gnosticism. And we don't have time to really dig into it. But one of the things about Gnosticism, that they taught that Jesus w- was never really real. He was never really human. He was never really uh, matter. That matter is bad. Spirit is good. Matter is bad. And, and, and that's not what you see in the Bible. Matter is not bad. It's, it's, it can become bad. But God made matter. Matter is cool. And Jesus was matter. He was fully human. He was fully God, but he was also fully human. And he, was, and, and he says, we touched him. And he was there. He was real. He was our friend. That's an amazing concept to think about your friend being God. I mean, think about that. And, and he would have to really persuade you for you to believe that he was really God, wouldn't he? I mean, you'd be waiting to see, oh, is he really God? Or, and, and, you know, his own brothers didn't believe in him till the end. Why? Because it's our brother. I mean, you know, what would your brother have to do to convince you he was God? Uh, I mean, basically, the only thing would be rise from the dead. And that's what he did. And that convinced James after that. His brothers were convinced. But, uh, but he, he's God come near. And w- when Jesus comes to us, what he says in, 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 uh, in the book of John, John 14, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. John 14, 6. And, and he says a couple of verses later in verse 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. When you see me, you see God. That's an extraordinary claim. There's a popular kind of teaching that you hear. Jesus was just another prophet. He was a good teacher. He was moral. He was, he was great, but he was just another. There's been all kinds of prophets, and Jesus is just one of them. That is so far from the truth when you look at what Jesus actually claimed. Jesus says, I am God. When you see me, you see God. I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's very exclusive, isn't it? And we don't like that nowadays. We kind of want to take a little bit of everything. We want to kind of, uh, you know, we're, we're millennials this time that, that we're in, we like to kind of take a little bit of everything. You know, there's that hipster culture idea that, oh, I don't like establishment. I don't like, uh, you know, the big chains. I like kind of a little, little this, little that, little mom and pop here. I don't, want, I don't want any boundaries. I don't want any finality. I don't want any absolutes. I want to kind of pick and choose whatever I like. And yet with Jesus... Jesus, you can't do that. You know, he says, absolutely. This is me. I am God. Come near. And you can choose whether you follow me or not. 
but, but you can't make him who you want him to be. There is finality with Jesus. And uh, Timothy Keller, Dr. Timothy Keller, writer of, of several books, a great speaker, he says, without finality, there is no relationship. And what he means by that is, like, you know, the longer you're married, the more you realize this is another person, and uh, there's certain things maybe that you can't change about that person, and there are certain things you might not agree on. Like, if you go into a relationship going, I like this person, and I'm going to change them into what I want them to be. That's not going to work. <laughs> right? I mean, we all change. We all become more like Jesus. But you can't, you know, this other person is, they are who they are. Regardless of, and, and, and when you get like all consumed with, I want them to be like this and they're not like this. That's where you get frustrated because you can't change anybody else. All you can do is change yourself. That's the awesome thing about marriage in the church because the, the Bible really teaches you to, I'm just going to focus on me. And then when you focus on you and your spouse focuses on them, you, it ends up being way better and it gets more and more and more awesome. But the point is that without finality, there is no relationship. It, it, people have this idea of God, like I, wanna, I want God that's like this or like that, or I don't, I don't, I don't want to worship a God that's judgmental. I don't want to worship a God of the Old Testament, or I don't, I don't really like that absolute thing that Jesus said. I kind of like this. And you want to make God out to who you want him to be. But if you do that, how is he ever going to contradict you? You know, how could he ever be something that, you know, doesn't isn't in line with what you think if you don't really believe that God came near and the word is his revealed character, that Jesus is is God as a as a man and the word is how we find him. Then you're never going to find true God because you're going to always make him into who you want him to be. And so, uh, you know, I I just encourage you that God wants a relationship with you, but you got to surrender to who he really is. And you do that through reading his word and through talking about it and through wrestling with it. And there might be things you never understand, but there are a lot of things you can understand. And if you're new to Christianity, if you're new to God or you're new to the church, I encourage you to start with reading the book of John. This is first John. We're going to go through this together. It's really short, but read the gospel of John. It's the story of Jesus told from John's perspective. It'd be a great thing for you to read as we're going through this uh, this, this uh, series on First John. Uh, if you haven't read John for a while, even if you're a member or disciple and you've been around a long time, I encourage you to read the book of John as we're going through this series and just kind of examine who Jesus really was. Uh, Cora and I talked about that this last week too. We talked about her reading John and, and uh, we'll talk about it if she has questions. And it's just a great starting point to understand who Jesus is. And the more that you discover about God, the more you discover about Jesus and his character, the more that you look back at your life and you realize he was there all along. That he wanted a relationship with me all along. I just didn't see it. And then your eyes get open to God working in your life. And it's an amazing, amazing thing to see God come near. Uh, Number two, Jesus is what brings us together. In verse three, he says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Jesus is what brings us together. You know, you get the idea that John is saying, we, we want to tell you about Jesus so you can come along with us. Come along and follow Jesus together. Let's come along. Look at what we found. Um, when we were putting together some stuff for the website, the South Bay Church website, and we have a podcast. If you don't subscribe to our podcast, you can get it on iTunes now. If you search for South Bay Church, you'll find it. But um, when we made this little video about our church, I couldn't find a piece of music that I liked uh, for it. So I decided to write a song for our, our little website video. So I wrote this song for the website video. And uh, 
it, it doesn't really exist anywhere. The words of the, of the song don't exist anywhere. Uh, it's just instrumental, but they, they have words. At some point, I'll do something with it. But the, the words are, come along, see what we've found. So it goes, come along, see what we've found. We got our troubles, we got our ups and downs, but we're growing stronger on the way. We got each other, we're going to make it there someday. So that's the, that's the chorus. But it's, come along, see what we've found. So when you, when you listen to our podcast, you'll hear that. Da, 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 da. So those are the words, come along, see what we found. But I think that's who we are as a church. We have struggles, we have ups and downs, we don't have it figured out, but we found something that's really amazing. And that is Jesus. And Jesus is what brings us together. Uh, we come from all kinds of different cultures. We come from all kinds of different places in life. Uh, di- you know, different parts of the country, different countries that we've come from here together. And Jesus pulls us all together. And in the first century that John was writing to these disciples here, it was a very diverse culture. It was it's very similar to today in a lot of ways. It was an urban culture. It was multicultural. It was very diverse um, the Greeks, you know, you have these great big empires uh, through history. So you had the Persian Empire, and, the, and the, they kind of let people do their own thing. Then you had the Greek Empire. The Greeks demanded that you become Greek. It was called Hellenization. Anybody heard that word in, in school, Hellenization? So they kind of forced you to take on Greek culture and Greek language, and they persecuted the people that they, uh, that they ruled. And so God's people, the Jews, went through a really hard time during the time of the Greeks, and uh, that's even what's celebrated now with, with Hanukkah is that struggle against the Greeks. Uh, and, and there's some great stories about that, the Maccabean revolt and this kind of stuff. But anyway, during the Greeks, they forced you to become Greek. So that's why Greek, got, the language of Greek got spread everywhere. Then Rome came. Rome conquered Greece. And Rome was the, the longest empire that's ever reigned, the biggest empire that's ever reigned. And, uh, and Rome didn't require that you change your culture. They just took over and took your money and then said, you can stay, keep doing what you're doing. Um, but because of that, uh, you know, th- that, that's why uh, Latin wasn't spread as far as Greek was. And that's why, uh, you know, you still had a very diverse culture in Roman society. And so the Jews were able to carry on as Jews and, and all of that unless it became you know, something that threatened Caesar, and, and, and that's why Jesus was killed, because they're like, this guy claims to be king, and so we got to kill him. And, uh, but anyway, the point is that it was a very diverse culture at the time. I'm getting caught up in spewing, I think, ideas. Uh, the point is that it was a very diverse culture at the time of, of John writing this. And so in the church, you had Jews and Gentiles. Jews were brought up, you, say, you know, you teach your kids, you do not talk to Gentiles. Where you don't eat with Gentiles. You don't touch anything a Gentile has touched. We have nothing to do with them. You know, that's the culture they were brought up in, and then they're together in the church. You know, imagine that would have some issues, right? Um, you had, within the Jews, you had Jews that thought, well, Rome's not that bad. At least we get to live at peace, and we need to try to work it out with Rome. Uh, you have that side. And then the other side of we need to take over Rome. Everything they do is bad. They're evil. You can, and within Jesus' own disciples, he had both. And, and so it was a very diverse culture. And, and, and that's, how is that possible? It's only possible in Jesus. Jesus is what brings us together. And so in the church, we have all kinds of people. And we come from all kinds of different backgrounds. And I think that's awesome. Uh, you know, in, as Steve mentioned, uh, February is Black History Month. And, uh, you know, I'm somewhat familiar with the struggles of, 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 of blacks. You know, we, we, we learn it in, in school. We, we, we learn, uh, you know, we see it in movies like Roots or other movies that tell us these stories. 
you know, and I know we're still a long way off for where we need to be. You know, when you look at uh, incarcerations, when you look at wealth disparity, when you look at policing in America, there's a lot of issues still and, and that we can't be satisfied with. But the fact is, I'm a white guy, you know, uh, I'm a white guy in in my school. Uh, my high school, there was two black kids, you know, like in my graduating class. One was the school president. Uh, but, but, uh, but, you know, I don't, I don't get it. I realize I don't get it. I don't know what the average African-American struggle in America is like. I, I just don't. I haven't experienced that. And, and, you know, I appreciate relationships. Like, Betty and I are great friends, and we talk. And Jock was telling me the other day about some of his struggles. And I was like, wow, I had no idea. Like, he didn't want to walk to his car by himself in my neighborhood. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, I'm too black for this neighborhood. I'm like, what? <laughs> and he was like, he was saying how he has to, like, you know, he, he has to, uh, he gets pulled over by the police because his car is, is uh, you know, registered to Jacques Barber, and he doesn't look like Jacques Barber, and, and uh, you know, I'm like, really? I mean, Jacques, Jacques dresses really tight. It's not like he dresses like a thug or something, uh, you know, but it's like, wow, I had no idea that, you know, he has that kind of struggle, and so my point is that we, we learn from each other, these things. And, and as a representative of the white folks in the church here, um, <laughs> let me just say, you know, I, I, I apologize for our insensitivity at times. Like, we don't know what we're saying sometimes, or we don't, uh, you know, I had, to, I had a, a good black friend, Greg, uh, pull me aside one time, not Greg uh, Russell, but another Greg Watson. And we were talking about something, and I was talking about how this, somebody was really dark or something, and... And he pulled me aside. He's like, bro, don't ever say that. Like, that's really bad to say someone is darker than someone else. I'm like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Uh, you know, I just don't know these things, right? So my point is that we want to be here for you. You know, if you, if you are even now experiencing things as a black American, uh, we want to be there for you. So, but just help us out. You're like, you know, forgive us when we mess up. And uh, but I, so I don't know exactly what the answers are to the problems of race relations in America. It's, it's complicated. But I do know this, that Jesus is what brings us together. Amen. Uh, you know, there there's these awesome verses that Paul says, you are all one in Christ Jesus in Galatians. And the, the full verse, he says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. Uh, you know, male and female relations have issues in our country still, too. You know, but in Christ, we are one. And we got to never give up on being more and more one and learning more and more from each other. Another similar passage, Colossians 3, he says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. Isn't that a powerful verse? There's no more barbarian, Scythian, slaver free. I don't know who the barbarians were exactly. I know Conan, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, but that must have been an issue in the church. There's some barbarians over there and some Scythians over there. Uh, maybe we still have some barbarians in our fellowship here. But together we're one in Christ. We are one. Um, I saw this, I heard this podcast this last week. Uh, there's a, a podcast I listened to called Reply All, and it's about the, the web and different things on the web, trying to stay current with what's going on in the web. But it, it talked about uh, in, in Silicon Valley, that the, there's, there's an issue of, of uh, a lack, huge lack of diversity in Silicon Valley. 
And uh, I was talking about this one engineer. He's the only black engineer, basically, like, only black engineer at Twitter. And he wrote a book, and he started a new con- company and everything. But in this story, they were uh, talking about the study that was done by a professor uh, named uh, Scott Page. He's a professor of complex systems at the University of Michigan. And he did this experiment where he, he made these computer models that were kind of stand-ins for people. And what he was trying to determine is, if you're a company, you want to you form a corporation and you have uh, difficult problems to solve, is it better to have a team of elites who are kind of similar, but they are super good? Or is it better to have diversity? And so uh, what he was trying to compare is, is it better to have... Uh, like the, these Ivy League people who are the very, very best in their field, but they all kind of had a similar experience? Or is it better to have even random people? They're good people, but they're kind of randomly selected. And so he made programs that would kind of relate to this. So he had one fully, highly effective algorithm, but it's all a, a program to solve a problem, but they're all similar. So he had those over here. And then over here, so those are like a group of smart people who all graduated from the same colleges. But then over here, he had his uh, model with less expert equations, all of which approach the problems from totally different directions, like a team from different backgrounds. So then he would do these problems uh, with the computer models, mathematical models. He says, in almost every model I wrote, what was happening was the team of the best individuals was not doing best. The team consisting of the best individuals was getting beaten by just randomly picking people. Uh, Granted, we're talking about zeros and ones, but it was still strange. He was noticing that the so-called expert performers, ones tended to have really similar strategies. When you put them in a team, they'd get stumped more or less at the same time, while the randomly picked less expert algorithms always had some new strategy to try, and they won again and again. And Scott says the same thing happens in real-world experiments with people. When faced with a hard problem, a diverse team gets better results. And by diversity, he doesn't just mean race or gender. One, he says one way you can measure diversity is you can ask, what knowledge bases do you have? What have you learned? And what kind of experiences you have had? I love that because that just describes our church right there. I mean, all around us, we have so different experiences. We have such different backgrounds. We have such different frame of views. Uh, you know, not just race or gender, but... Uh, where we grew up, what kind of neighborhood we grew up in, what our parents were like, what kind of uh, sinful past we had, all kinds of stuff. There's so many ways that we're different. And and the fact is that we are better together, that Jesus brings us together and and it makes us so much more powerful as a collective than any one of us as an individual Uh, for winning the world and for helping people and for serving the poor and all the things that, that Jesus wants us to do. And so I'm just so encouraged by our church. You know, I'm so encouraged by the relationships we have with each other. Uh, it was so encouraging, you know, uh, last week on, on Wednesday, the, I was in, with the single brothers and they all stood up and they gave each of the sisters a flower and they shared about them. And there were tears shed as the brothers shared about how awesome the sisters in our congregation are. And, you know, and, 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 and you, unity in the singles isn't, isn't easy. You know, you have uh, uh, singles who are in their 20s and you have singles who are in their 60s. And they're all in the same group, you know, and you have singles who come from very diverse backgrounds. And yet it's we're all one. And I, I love the unity that 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 we see in the church. And it was so it was so cool just to see it visualized right there as the brothers were sharing about the sisters and crying and sharing. And, you know, it's just so awesome giving each of them a flower. Uh, it was really, really encouraging to me. And so, amen, diversity with unity is amazing. 
But it's not easy. And uh, if you look what, at the next verse here in uh, verse 5, it says, This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Remember that video, he said, we lose conversation because we get to edit and when we edit, we delete. So we don't present a true version of ourselves. But you see here, this picture of true Christian relationships it's all exposure, isn't it? Yeah. He says, God is perfect light. There's no darkness in him. When you come to God, there is no hiding. Uh, Chuck Bray used to say, someday we're all going to have to stand before God, butt naked, all by yourself. <laughs> he used to say. Uh, and uh, that is true. And it, in fact, it's true now, you know, that, that yeah. when you come to God, you're just like, I'm completely exposed. Yeah. And that's a scary thing. That's what keeps people from coming to God a lot. In fact, uh, in, in the book of, of John, verse, chapter 3, he says that uh, you know, the light has come into the world. This is a verdict. Light's come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And you know, if, you, if you love the light, you come into the light because, okay, I, I'm going to live by the truth. But most people go, no, no, I don't I want the light. You know, it kind of reminds me of, uh, I woke up, uh, couldn't sleep at like 4 in the morning and went in the kitchen and turned on a switch and then phew, went a bug you know it's like oh where'd it go <laughs> you know they, they hate the light they just dash away and that's how a lot of people are the light comes on it's like oh i'm out of here and yet in the church we we have what allows us to have relationships with one another is that that intimacy that connection that being in the light that openness that transparency that honesty honesty that realness that we can be really real with each other and a lot of times when you study the bible with somebody uh, if you're visiting with us, we, we sit down, we, we look at the Bible, and we just talk about our lives, and we talk about the Bible, but you end up being so close because you get real, and you get open, you get honest. A lot of times, you know, I'll, I'll study the Bible with somebody for a couple weeks, and then after a couple weeks, they'll say, you know what, I feel closer than to any of my friends that I grew up with. Why? Because we're talking about what's really going on. There's true, he says, that's what gives us fellowship, verse 7. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus purifies us from sin. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But it's that, it's that realness. It's that openness. I like that he doesn't say perfection. If we walk in perfection, because we can't. It, it's just walk in the light. Just be real. Just be honest. Be transparent. Be open. That's what being a Christian is. It's not being perfect. It's going, okay, I messed up again. Who can I talk to? <laughs> you know? And uh, we talked about this with the, brother, uh, with the uh, singles. We talked about what brothers do when we want to get open. We, I said we, there's a certain technique that we use, a certain phrase. We, you go to another brother and you say, and, and sisters, you, could, you, you probably have your own, but here's what the brothers do. We go to another brother and we go, hey, bro, can I be open about something? And then they go, oh, sure. And then you start talking. Because a lot of times we just don't know, how do I get open? How do I talk about my life? So that's the secret phrase uh, if you want to try that out. Hey, can I get open about something? And then you talk about that. I do that all the time. Why don't we get open? I asked the singles this. Why don't we talk about what's really going on? Why don't we get open? And they said, oh, we're afraid. I'm afraid to be judged. Afraid of, uh, you know, they're not going to relate. Afraid that they're going to think I'm weird. Afraid that, you know, I'm just, I'm afraid of being exposed. But I said, well, so what, let's say somebody tells you about their life. So, so somebody gets open to you. How do you feel about that person? Are you like, oh, I can't believe they did that. 
<laughs> They're like, no, you feel like, oh, I have so much more respect for them. Uh, I, I want to help them out. I want to pray for them. I want to be there for them. You gain respect by being open. It's just a trick of Satan to try to keep us from being real. And so dealing in reality, not being fake, that's going to give us that true connection. Uh, I want to talk about positive use of social media here for a second. You know, uh, with the teens, they, they talk to each other all day long on Snapchat and Instagram and stuff. I don't know exactly all they're doing, but they're on there a lot. Uh, but it's cool. what I like about it, I'm sure that could have its downsides, but what I like about it, like with Jameson, you know, he is, he's at school, but he's hanging out with his friends from church all day, in a sense. Do you know what I mean? And I remember being, I was a disciple in high school, and it was hard. And I felt like, I, I got my teen ministry, I love my teen ministry, but then I go to school, and that's where I live. I'm there all day long. And then I get with my teen ministry a couple times a week, but then I'm back in school, and it's just worldly, and it's hard, and it's challenging. And so when I graduated from high school and I went to campus ministry, it was like, oh, I get to be with the disciples all the time. And then I go off to school, and then I come back, and I'm with the disciples, and I get the encouragement and the faith and the strength I need. But high school was hard. So a cool thing about social media is that, you know, Jameson can stay connected with the other teens throughout the day, even as he's in the world. You know what I mean? And so I think thinking about these modern tools that we have, how can we use them positively spiritually? How can, how can this be a force for good, not getting caught up in it like, like John Mayer was talking about? But how can I use this? How can I be real? And I'm not saying, okay, from now on on Facebook, we're going to post pictures of ourselves with bedhead and, you know, oh, I had another fight with my husband. He's such a jerk. You know, like, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, but I'm talking about using, using these tools to connect with each other in a way that brings more openness and more realness. Um, there's a brother that I stayed with when I was in Singapore uh, that's a worship leader in the Singapore church. And so we got to become friends. And um, so he sent me this uh, message this week. He wanted to see if we could talk. And so he told me that he's a part of a, of a chat group uh, with brothers that he trusts. And he gets open with them about everything that is going on. And in worship ministry, you can have some struggles sometimes, you know, because there's a lot of relationship dynamics and things. And so he started this chat group. And so he said he wanted to talk with me about it. And so we started this back and forth. And he said it was okay for me to share this. You're not going to be able to read it, but I just want to show you what he sent me. So this is what he sent me on Facebook. You know, and that, that stuff, uh, that's, that's, that's stuff that, uh, you know, I could totally relate to. Everything on there was stuff I can relate to. And a lot of that was stuff that he was putting in his chat group with his other brothers at church. There was four other brothers at church. He was just striving to use this modern technology to be super open about everything that he's going through. And, and I, his heart is like, he's kind of venting a little bit, but then he's like, but he's, he's discipling his own heart as he's going through all this stuff. And I just really appreciated it. I said, you mind if I share with the group about that? Because this is so cool that he and I, on different sides of the world, like I'm, I'm, I'm talking to him on, on uh, and it's 4 o'clock my time in the afternoon, and it's 9 o'clock in the morning his time, uh, So we, the next day. So we realized that's a good time to connect. But, you know, we're helping each other spiritually on the other side of the planet. That is so amazing. What an incredible use of this technology to be able to really have that openness and that connection with each other. Uh, and, and most of what he put in that email was just relationship stuff. It's working it out. And the fact is, is that Jesus brings us together, but then we have a lot we got to work out with each other. And, uh, you know, we just do. We got to work with our spouses, with our friends, but just in the church, we are going to be together. We're going to hurt each other. 
and we, we're going to have to work it out. You know, I, I, I have many, many times of working it out. You know, with Kevin Maines, with Marco many times. Marco and I think very differently. We'd have to work it out. I remember having to work it out with Calvin Johnson, you know, and different people. I have to work it out with Gina sometimes. <laughs> uh, you know, Women's Day is coming, so I know I'm going to have to work it out with Gina and Jackie both. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the fact is I hate it. I hate working it out. You know, it's like, oh. I'm going to have to be humble. I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to like, I'm going to have to apologize. I'm going to have to be like Jesus. Oh, I hate it. Um, but it's so good. It's so good for me to work it out. And, and I think that that's how Jesus uh, continues to work on us is through that, those relationship dynamics with each other. If you look at the, the New Testament, most, most of it is about working it out. Most of it is about relationships with each other. Uh, because it's, it's not easy. All right, uh, last point here. Let's move on. Jesus makes us clean. Jesus makes us clean. This next verse, verse 7, I'm going to read it here in a second. It says, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Wait, let me get on the right slide there. Sorry. There we go. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay, so I love this verse. He's giving us the options. It's either you come into the light and you're honest and you, and you confess, or you don't. It's not just don't sin. Like, I mean, we need to try not to sin, but that, he doesn't present that as an option in this verse. You know, he says, if you claim you've not sinned, basically you're saying God's a liar. Because you have. You know it. <laughs> you know? Uh, so he just says, your option is just to keep hiding or to get open. And when we get open, what we find is God is faithful and just and forgives. And he wants a connection with us. And that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died on a cross for us. is because he wants to forgive us of our sins. He wants to make us holy. He wants to make us righteous. And, and so... You know, the only, Satan knows this, and so the only thing Satan can do to keep us from being purified is to keep us in the darkness and keep us afraid and keep us like, oh, I don't want to get open. I don't want to get real. I don't want to come into the light because then we won't get purified because we don't really deal with things. And, uh, and when Jesus makes us clean, he makes us completely clean. It's, it, it's, and and you, there's more to study about this as far as what, what it becomes, how to become a Christian. You, you deny yourself and you repent and then you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And, and you're, you're buried in Jesus' blood and you're, you're washed by His grace. And then as you continue, this is written to disciples here, as you continue walking in the light, it says it continually purifies you of sin. You're continually cleansed of sin. Uh, you know, different people sometimes try to do, you ever done a detox before anybody here try to kind of detox your system, when I w- used to work in an office, there was an, one of the executives here, there. Uh, there was a couple, uh, a woman in marketing and a guy in sales, and they were uh, both doing this detox. I remember her telling me how they were doing this intense detox where they had no bread of any kind and, uh, you know, trying to clean out their systems. 
And it's like, that's great. But the problem is they both were avid smokers. (laughs) So like every cigarette break, you know, they'd be smoking, but they're not eating any bread. It's like, (laughs) it's like, I appreciate, I appreciate the suffering and commitment of having no bread, but why don't you start with not smoking? Uh, You know, inhaling carcinogenic smoke, that's probably your starting point there. But Jesus is becoming a real Christian. It's not a partial detox. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to kind of deal with this one area of my life. It becomes your whole being. He makes your whole being clean from inside out. And only in Jesus can we have that complete forgiveness. Only in Jesus uh, can we be completely made holy. And if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know what that means to become a Christian, you know, that's why we get together. That's why we study the Bible and talk about how to become a Christian as we see in the scriptures. If you are a Christian and you've, you've drifted or you feel like you've let stuff in, I, I really want to encourage you to, to make a decision this week to get open, to, 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 to confess your sins to God, to confess your sins to others. Uh, you're not forgiven by confessing to others, but the Bible says that's how you get healed. Uh, you confess to G- God, he forgives you, you confess to others and you get healed. That's how you really get to, get to deal with it. But, but pick somebody you're going to grow in a relationship with. As, as, a, as we go through this series, pick somebody you go, I want to really get more open with this person. Maybe it's two people, or maybe it's three people, but, but pick somebody that you want to really go after a relationship with as we go through this series. Jesus is faithful and he's forgiving. So it's this thing that God is perfect, pure light, but when you come to him, you're afraid, but then he, he's faithful and he's forgiving, and, and, but we have to surrender. We have to be honest. Uh, as we take communion, uh, I want to close with this idea that Jesus became lonely for you. Jesus became lonely for you. The Bible teaches that he was separated from God by our sin, and that when, when Jesus was on the cross, it was the first time ever that he had to be separate from God. And, and that intimacy that he had from the beginning of creation, the beginning before creation, was broken for that moment uh, by our sins all coming on him. All the sins of the world came on him, and he was separated from God for the first time ever. Jesus became lonely for you. Jesus on the cross, he forfeited that, uh, that intimacy. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was distanced from the Father, distanced from his friends. He told his friends, all of you will fall away tonight on account of me. And yet he did that for us. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.